Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just thank you, God, for your presence that is here. God, I thank you that you are always enough. Father, you're a good father. You're a generous father. So, God, we just thank you, God, for all that you are. God, you're generous towards us. And, God, we want to be generous back to you and to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, that video kind of summed up my message. So if you forget everything else, go back and watch that. But I'm going to break it down for you guys. Um, So did you know that God, the nature of God is generous? It isn't just an attribute of his. It's not just when he feels like it. It's actually a part of who he is. His very nature is generous. That means everything he does is generous. He can't be separated from it. Um, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was never a thought in God's mind not to give because it's part of who he is. So his nature of love compelled him to give. Now, giving is one thing. Generosity is a specific type of giving. And the way that I explain this to the kids, because this word generosity, how many of you remember my word last year? Connection. And you heard a lot about it. So generosity is the one that's like burning inside of me. And so I've been teaching the kids about it. And so the way I explain generosity to them is how many of you, raise your hand or don't raise your hand, have more than one pair of shoes? I have a, like my shoes are stacked on my shoes. So, but pretend I had no shoes, which I didn't have any on when I came up here. Okay, just pretend I did not have any shoes. Now, if you gave me a pair of shoes, that would be beautiful. That would be so awesome. I would like, thank you so much. But that wouldn't be generosity. Generosity is giving more than enough. So if you gave me four pair of shoes, that would be generous of you. So generosity is always more than enough. That's that literal definition of the word generosity. I'm not just making that up. Is more than is needed. Um, So... God gave his son for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have not just life, but everlasting life, abundant life, eternal life, right? So can you see how the very nature of God is generous? It can't be separated. So scarcity, and this is what the video said, scarcity is not caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe there isn't enough. Maybe God is holding out on me and I need to take matters into my own hands. So these things happen very subtly in our mind. It's not like we, we would say, yes, I trust God. Like I believe everybody in this room would say, yes, I trust God. So these things happen very subtly. They come in and they say, God can't be trusted. You have to take things into your own hands or else there won't be enough. 
So we really want to, um, I am, I'm asking God, convict me every time that it is not a generous thought. It's not, it's, I'm not remembering the very generous nature of God. Make me aware of that because I want to come in, into alignment with who you are. And so does scarcity exist within God? You can answer that. No. All right. Are you sure? Okay. Awesome. Great. So anytime there is a mindset that there is not enough, that thought is contrary to the nature of God. John 10.10, I'm preaching Pastor Joel's favorite verse, one of them. John 10.10, the thief, say the thief, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it what? more abundantly. The passion translation of the same verse is a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. That's God. That's Jesus. He came not just so that we could get by, but so that we could overflow. It's his very nature. It's everything that he does is abundant and generous. So he doesn't just give us enough. He gives us enough to overflow. So this is just a good rule of thumb. If it is killing, stealing, or destroying, it is not of God. So sometimes some things happen to our, us in our life, and we, we say, okay, God's teaching me something, or I must have a lesson to learn. But that's actually not true. Sorry, it's just a lie. I can just say it. Because God does not kill, steal, or destroy. His nature is always generous and always abundant. So this is something, as I said, I have been praying. I want this to be a conviction of my heart. Because it's when, it, when it's a conviction of our heart and not just something that we know in our mind, not just something where I say, oh yeah, I trust in God, but it's actually a conviction of my heart. That means that everything that I do and say, my very life is going to reflect that because it's, it's fully what I believe. Now, the definition of conviction is the quality of showing that one is firmly convinced of what one believes or says. So it's not just, again, it's not just up here. It's not just a good idea. It actually becomes a part of us to the, to the point where everything that we do comes out of that conviction. And so I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm not, but I'm working on it. So um, I've told this story before, but when I very first moved out of my parents' house years ago, um, we were at the beach, and I was working on a lease on the phone, and my dad, being a loving, caring father, he said, are you sure you can afford this? And I just remember this moment. It like flew out of my mouth faster than I knew it was happening. I said, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I either believe it or I don't. And I was like, well, that was kind of direct, <laughs> but it just like happened. Now, of course, you know, my dad wants to make sure and, you know, don't step out when it's foolish to step out. But it was like, it was a moment of conviction that rose out of me that said, my God shall supply. And I believe that with every fiber of my being. So that's what I want. I want these things to be so deep in me and in us that everything that we do and say comes out of a conviction that God is a generous God, that he is always enough. So can we say, say, God is not withholding from me. There is always enough in God. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about what happens. These are those subtle things that happens when that 
that come in when we don't believe in the generosity of God. And one of them is that we don't trust God. So we might say it, but our thoughts and our actions subtly doubt that God will take care of us. Guys, this is hard sometimes. Like I'm not, there's no shame in any of this. But sometimes this is hard to do when what you see is not lining up with what you believe, right? So, but what happens is we, we subtly begin to not trust God. Now, remember the garden. I'm not going to preach this whole thing because I don't have time. But Adam and Eve, what happens, the, the liar, the enemy, the thief came in and said, God is withholding from you. God doesn't want you to have this because he's holding it back from you. He's withholding. And so what did they do? They took the only thing that was not theirs. And they immediately hid themselves. So... What happens a lot of times is we don't give or we take what's not ours. We live in a scarcity mindset and then we become self-protective. You're not going to take what's mine. You're not going to take something because I'm going to run out. And so that mindset starts to come in. And so um, many times we don't give because we're protecting ourselves. So we believe things like if I give, they will want more than I have to offer. I've had these thoughts. If I give, well, then I will run out. If I give, there will not be enough for me. Who's going to take care of me if I give? Now, again, what did I have you say in the very beginning? This is not a money message. So this applies to money, but it's not just money. It, it applies to our time, our energy, our emotions, our relationships, everything that we are that is the outflowing of us, this applies. So when we aren't convinced of God's generous nature, we will always take matters into our own hands to protect ourselves because we are afraid that we will not be taken care of. Now, um, hopefully you're all familiar. If you're not, you can read it. Um, I don't, it's in Exodus. Um, but the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. Now, the Israelites came from 400 years of slavery. Um, and God opens the sea, and they walk through on dry land. He rescues them, does supernatural miracles. Amazing, amazing, amazing. If God parted the sea, the ocean, like how many of you like the beach? Aaron likes the beach. If you went to the beach, and it split in two, and there was dry land, like, whoa, God. Big deal, right? So they cross through their freedom after 400 years of slavery, and they're, they're free people, as God promised them that they would be. Um, and then they get hungry. Now, how many of you, even if the ocean parts and you're hungry, like the story changes, right? We get, there's a whole word in the dictionary. It's hangry now, right? Yeah. So even the amazing things of God, those little things like you're hungry can like make you forget real fast. So they get hungry and they complain. Say complaining is never a good idea. That's just something good to remember in life. Complaining is just never a good idea. It's just not. It's not going to get you anything positive. So God tells them that they will provide for them. He's a good father. They're hungry. He's going to feed them. So um, he, he gives them instructions that they are to go out every day and that food is going to, to appear for them. Like, like the dew on the grass, food appears. And it, he said it's manna. Manna means what is it? We don't know what it was, but it was food and it was good for eating. So God provides for them every single day. They're, they're given instructions to go out, collect as much as you need for that day. Say that day. And then the next day, more will come. God was faithful. 
He did that. But now, I don't know how you are, but I'm a stock up person. Like if it's on sale, we buy it all or as much as we can. Like I don't just have one freezer full of food. I have two freezers full of food because in the summer, I stock up on my produce for the winter. So I, that's just, I like stocking up. I'm like the Costco size. If we only have to buy it once a year, let's do it. So that's, I'm telling you, that's my way of thinking. Um, so, and that kind of aligns with everything that we learn about stewardship and about wisdom and about stocking up and, and uh, about being good stewards of the resources that we have, right? That's not wrong. But in this case, when the, the Israelites are out in the wilderness, God tells them, I want you to go out and I want you to get enough for today. I want you to get enough to feed you and your family for that day. And then a little extra for the Sabbath, right? So now what do you think some of them did? Now, if this was me and I had just come out of the, the out of, and they, they start saying, well, we should have gone back to Egypt. We should have stayed in Egypt. At least there was food to eat, right? So if I came from that, God rescued me. And then I'm start, like I'm hungry in the wilderness and food starts showing up out of nowhere. I want to like store some up. Like that's just would be my automatic response is to fill the cupboards. So that's what some of them did. You know what happened to it? It got gross. It stank. It got bugs. It got rotten. So why? Because they were told, I want you to go out, go collect what you need for today and trust that tomorrow there will be enough for that day because God is generous. So it sometimes tilts our thinking of, well, I have to, I have to, I have to, because if our stewardship is actually out of self-preservation and fear, it's not in alignment with the generous nature of God. So like I said, there's nothing wrong with stewardship, but if it is coming out of a heart that if I don't, God won't, or if I don't, no one else will, then we're not in alignment with the way of the kingdom and with the, the very generous nature of God that says every single day I will provide for you. So this convicts me because if I look down the road and I don't have a plan and I don't have a stock and a store up, yesterday we cleaned the kitchen and threw out food that was expired in 2016. But you know what the sad part is? I had bought more of the same food. Because I'm like, oh, we're three quarters down. We need to buy another one, right? So I was upset with myself as I was wasting all this food. So if we have that mindset of I have, to, I have to have enough, I have to instead, and even subtly, it doesn't have to be like a panic thing, but just those subtle thoughts of if I don't, then God won't. Those are the things that we want to start to chip away at and say, no, I am stewardship out of an act of worship to my God who is abundant and generous, and I want to care for the resources that he has put in my hands, not because we don't believe that he will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All right. So again, when we don't believe in the generous nature of God, we live in a mindset or a lifestyle of self-preservation, and we start to take and get everything that we can because we have to look out for us. We have to take care of ourselves. So should we be hard workers? Yes. Should we be stewardful? Yes. Um, I can't preach you those messages, so we just have to say, yes, be stewardful, be hard workers. But as believers, we are never outside of him. We're never doing it on our own because we are in him, Christ, the hope of glory, right? 
So everything that we do is only in partnership with God. It's not separate from God. It's in partnership with God, who is the source of all. So are you with me? Awesome. So Psalm 127, 1 through 2 says, If God's grace doesn't help the builders, they will labor in vain to build the house. If God's mercy doesn't protect the city, all the centuries will circle it in vain. It really is senseless to work so hard from early morning till late at night, toiling to make a living for fear of not having enough. God can provide for his lovers even while they sleep. Now, it doesn't say there's anything wrong with hard hard work. It doesn't say there's anything wrong with long hours. It says there's something wrong when we're doing that without him, outside of him, because he can take care of us even while we sleep. So hopefully you're not sleeping at work and trying to kill two birds with one stone. But so we don't work hard in fear of not having enough. That's the bottom line. So outside of God, human nature is self-preservation. It's protecting ourselves. But inside of God, abundant life, inside of his abundant life, we can give freely. So our mindset begins to change, and we work hard because our work is worship, and we were created for it. The very first thing God told us to do was take care of the garden, be fruitful and multiply. So work is not wrong, but it's not punishment either. And it's not because we're going to run out because he is the ultimate source of all. So it's actually my honor to work instead of my punishment, then if I don't, then whatever. So, now, another thing, when we aren't convinced of the generous nature of God, we miss out on the fullness of our inheritance as heirs of God. So, we sang a whole song today about being a child of God. Now, the Israelites, they were used to being slaves. Remember, 400 years, that's generations of people that were used to being slaves. So they had a slave way of thinking. They had a, there will not be enough because they lived in scarcity and lack all the time. Um, in fact, when things got worse, the, the Egyptians took their, their supplies, shorted their supplies, so they had to work even harder with less. So that's what they're used to. But you know what the reality was? Is that they were the promised heirs of God. They were the promised children to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're God's holy people, but they didn't know that. And so they, because of their mindset that of, because of their experience and their mindset, um, they didn't know that they were heirs of God. They didn't know that they had, that they were actually God's dream come true. They were that promise in the flesh and so if we believe wrongly about the nature of God, we believe wrongly about, God's, about our nature as God's sons and daughters. And in Romans, it says that, because, that we are children of God. And because we are children of God, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So that means that his abundance is my abundance. Say his abundance, his abundance. is my abundance. That means that his kingdom is my kingdom. That also means that my role in the kingdom is not to rule with an iron fist, but to serve with an open hand. And why can I say that? Because Jesus is our model for everything. And him being equal to God made of himself no reputation. And he came and he lived among us. He humbled himself and he gave. So when we know who God is and who he says we are, we will live from the conviction that there is always enough. And this is key. 
Not just the conviction that there's always enough for me, but that there's always enough for you. So it's not just about my needs. It's now, okay, God will take care of you and me. It's not one or the other. Because sometimes, like I said in the beginning, we think, well, I can't give because who's going to provide for me? Then I'm giving you and there won't be enough for me, right? So many times we can resolve that God will supply my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But you know, that scripture, I'm getting ahead of myself, that scripture was actually spoken to a people just after they gave. And Paul says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And that was just after they had given, physically, tangibly given to Paul. So God won't just take care of me. He's going to take care of his givers, his, his, his people, all of us. So we can't succumb to the lie that if I give, there will not be enough for me. That's not generosity. And that's not the nature of our generous God. So generosity is a conviction. You're fully convinced that when I give, my needs are met and your needs are met. So Proverbs 11, 24 through 25 says, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. That just validates what I just said. In the NIV translation, it says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. This does not make sense outside of the kingdom, just so you know. All right. Another withholds unduly, but, be, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes another will be refreshed. That Hebrew phrase, that last part, the Hebrew phrase, it actually means the soul of blessing will grow fat. I like those words. That doesn't mean physically, you know, but that means abundance. That means full. That means full to overflowing, right? You can apply it however you would like to apply it. So like I said, this doesn't make sense outside of the kingdom because the kingdom's completely upside down. Jesus's entire life on the earth was saying, what you have always known, turn it upside down and that's my kingdom. So this goes beyond practicality, and it even goes beyond some of our, our thinkings of, of um, stewardship outside of God. So now, uh, one more thing. When we are not convinced of the generous nature of God, we will not live generously, and we become a poor representation of a generous God. I don't want that. I want to represent my God well. I want to represent a generous God generously because as I am his child, as his kingdom is mine and his abundance is mine, that means uh, it's not just mine for me. It means I actually take on the nature of him and I become generous also. So this takes everything to a new level because it's one thing that God will provide for me, but another thing to believe that God called me to provide for another. It takes it outside of just ourselves and for us, but it's actually now our very nature to do for others. So that's what I already said. All right, so what does a generous life look like? 
It is firstly a life connected to the source that never runs dry. You cannot have generosity. You cannot have a generous nature outside of the God who is generous and has a generous nature. So it's always connected to the source that doesn't run dry. John 4 through 4, 4, 4, John 4, 13 through 14 says, Jesus answered and said to her, this is the woman at the well, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst, but the water that I give him will become in him, in him, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So it doesn't just say that she's filled. It just doesn't say that there's enough for her, but it actually becomes a spring of water inside of her. That means his generosity is not just the filling for me. That's not generous. That would just be giving enough, but he gives more than enough. So that means that when we're connected to him, he fills us and he fills us with the springs that overflow into everlasting life. So the Passion Translation, same verse. I'm not going to say the reference again because I struggled through that one. Uh, when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, springing up and flooding you with endless life. So we cannot live generous lives outside of connection with the Holy Spirit. So if I ever believe that I am the source and I try to give, I'm going to run dry very quickly. And this is something that I do all the time. I don't know about you. But I forget, who I'm, who I forget my connection. I forget the well that never runs dry. And I try to give just out of my own. And then it's sapped up and dried, dried up real fast. So we have to always, always, always be connected to the source that never runs dry. Otherwise, we're going to dry up and burn out. I don't like burning out. So always, always, always stay connected to the source. Now, um, practically, because I have to give you something practical in every message. So what is practically, what does a generous life look like? So this might be different from what you might think I'm about to say, but a generous life is actually a boundaried life. So generosity doesn't mean a lack of boundaries. Boundaries actually allow us to think and give generously. So sometimes we think generosity is saying yes to everything, but that is going to cause you to run out. So you need to have boundaries in place to help us to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. So it isn't about being available for everything all the time. It isn't about being available to everyone all the time. Um, because guess what? If we don't have boundaries in place, it's going to stop us from being generous because we're going to quickly realize there's not enough in us. We are not, we cannot source everything and everyone. So having boundaries in place allows us to live generously really well. So boundaries, I can't teach this lesson either, but boundaries very, very simply are our yeses and our noes. It's what we say yes to, what we say no to. And so, um, Again, it isn't saying no to everything, and it's not saying yes to everything. It's making a clear-cut space to say no to certain things so that we can say yes to other things, to the more important things. So we should always be giving, and boundaries allow us to do that. Because like I said, a lot of times we don't have the boundaries, and we get gun-shy to give because we've been sapped of life before, right? Right? So having boundaries actually keeps us in a place, in a position to where we can always be generous. So, all right, what does this look like practically? That means that when you see a need or someone asks you for something, you don't decide that you cannot be generous because that would not be the nature of God. 
Instead, you determine what your generosity will look like. So it's this shift in thinking that I have to say, I'm, I can't be generous because there's not enough, like I, there's not enough in me. That's like that scarcity mindset. So it's not deciding that you can't be generous. It's deciding what generosity will look like. That's a powerful decision to, to have that boundary in place so that I can respond to you powerfully instead of powerlessly and believing I can't because there's not enough, right? So very, very practically, if someone asks you for help to do something, tell them ahead of time, I have from this time to this time, and then keep your word. That is setting a boundary. It's scheduling it right into your life. It's not when somebody asks you, can you, can you do something? And there will be times that you can say, you can say no, there's nothing wrong with that. But your heart is not a, I can't. So boundaries allow us to live powerfully. You say, okay, I can help you from three o'clock to four o'clock. And then when it hits four o'clock, you can say, hey, my time, I ha- my time is up, I have to go. That, having that boundary in place ahead of time allows you to live this life. So if somebody's doing a meal train or if you're asked to bring something to a party or your kid's school, whatever it is, determine ahead of time. Okay, I don't have time to bake 500 cupcakes. I'm going to go get one of those awesome Costco trays of cookies for $10, right? That is creating ahead of time a boundary that's not going to sap you of life, but still allows you to be generous, right? All right. So if you notice a need, but you can't commit your whole life to it, sometimes, especially us ones who are so driven to help people, We'll see a need and we get so overwhelmed because we, oh, I, I, don't, how, I don't have the capacity to help this, but my heart is so connected to it. So we have to decide ahead of time, okay, I cannot do it all. God, I put that in your hands. What is the one thing that I can do? Do you see how it goes from a no to an always generous mindset because I'm connected to the God who is always enough and he's going to help me to navigate what, how I can give, when I can give, where I can give. And guess what? I'm a strategies person. There's always a way. There's always a solution. So even if it's just you, you know of someone else would be a good connection for them. There's always a way that we can be generous. It just sometimes goes outside of, the, of our, our normal thinking of what that looks like. So again, boundaries allow us to live a generous life. So you can't help everybody, but you can help somebody. You can't do everything, but you can do something. So we can all work on our boundaries of just that, that quick thinking of, okay, I am going to live a generous life. I need to put the boundaries in place to help me to do that well. So now I'm going to say the exact opposite of what I just said. Are you ready? All right. I don't want to give you the false idea that because we are generous, it never costs us something. So, again, this shifts our thinking. I just gave you permission to say no, to have boundaries, to not say yes to everything, right? But that does not mean that it is never going to cost us something. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It did cost him something, right? So, there will be times in a generous life when God will ask you to go beyond our boundaries. And guess what? When that happens, his boundaries become our boundaries, He always reserves the right to speak in and change our plans. But we have to always be connected to him in order for this to happen. 
So in the midst of our powerful living, our boundary life, we are always subject to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, not out of punishment, not, not with an iron fist, but because he is generous, because he is open-handed, because we are sons and daughters of the living God, because we are heirs of God and therefore royal in his kingdom, we always submit to him. So a scripture that um, shows this is 2 Samuel 24. Um, the story here is that, um, yeah, don't, don't put the verse up yet. But the, sorry, good job. The story here um, is that God told David through a prophet to go and build an altar on the property of this guy. His name starts with an A. So David went, he went to this man and um, and the man saw the king coming, and he, this is the king. So he says, what, what can I give you? you can ha- whatever I have is yours. You don't need to buy it. You can just have it. He's honoring the king. Um, and so David, now you can put it up. David says, 2 Samuel 24, 24, but the king replied to Arana, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my, the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So, there is always a cost, and that cost is we are attached to the well that never runs dry. We submit to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that, again, that's not a punishment. That's an honor. So um, Bill Johnson, you may have heard this. He says, fire always falls on the sacrifice. A sacrifice is laying down something of value for something of greater value. You can't give God something that he won't bless. That's the mindset. The mindset is not, oh, I have to give this sacrifice, and I trust, I trust that God will take care of me. No, it's a fully committed decision that, God, I worship you, and I will lay my life down knowing that I cannot give to you and you not bless it because you are a generous God. So it takes great love and great faith to live a generous life. Great love that compels us to give all for the sake of love. And great faith to believe that the reward of love will always outweigh the cost. For God so loved the world that he gave. Why? Because those who believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The reward of love will always outweigh the cost. All right, and now another aspect of a generous life. Sorry, I'm moving kind of quickly. I had a lot of notes. A generous life is a giving life. So do not give in to the lie that you have nothing to give. Luke 6.38 says, Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. It will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I love that it says, with the measure you use, not the measure you keep. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So the point of this scripture is not that we give in order to get. The point is that when we give, we set in motion the economy of a generous kingdom. So by me giving, I enact the economy of the kingdom, because it, the king, economy of the kingdom is generous. It's always more than enough. 
So we don't give to meet our own needs because we have our needs fully supplied by our Father in heaven. So we are kings and priests in a kingdom that does not have lack. It's a kingdom where the economy is generosity. It's always enough. And generosity is an abundance in heart. Say generosity is an abundance of heart. Now, I believe that we should all be generous with our giving, of our, our financial giving. It's commanded in the Bible. I'm not going to teach that today. I don't have time. But I do believe that we um, sometimes miss out on miracles when, our, when we don't give out of, a, out of an idea that there's not going to be enough for us. So I just challenge myself included um, that when we give in an act of worship, just watch and see what God does. We, uh, at our house, we started putting a post-it notes of financial miracles on our fridge just because it just shows how God, it just reminds us how God is going to come through for us. So, um, yeah, I could tell you stories of how giving changed my life, but I don't have time. So, um, for I know, maybe at the end, we'll see. First Timothy 6, 19, 17 through 19. This is the Passion Translation. It says, To all the rich of this world, I command you not to be wrapped in thoughts of pride over your prosperity or rely on your wealth, for your riches are unreliable and nothing compared to the living God. Trust instead in the one who has lavished upon us all good things, fulfilling our every need. Remind the wealthy to be rich in good works of extravagant generosity, willing to share with others. This will provide a beautiful foundation for their lives and secure for them a great future as they lay their hands upon the true meaning of life. So, what secures a great future? Most of us think money in the bank, right? That's like 401k, like you need to be secure for the future, right? But that scripture says that extravagant generosity, not wrong to have any of that, have money in the bank if you can, awesome. But extravagant generosity builds a beautiful foundation for their lives and secures for them a great future as they lay their hands upon the true meaning of life. So give in your finances, be generous. It doesn't have to mean everything. It could just mean one thing. And then just see, when you, give a, uh, when you give knowing that God is a generous God, then we can actually say, all right, God, I'm going to give, and I'm going to watch and see that you are a God who keeps your word, that you are a generous God. Just do it as an experiment, and then let me know what happens. That'll be a, a good, uh, exciting thing for both of us. All right. So, but generosity also goes beyond our finances. We can learn to think generously. Um, Al Toledo says, the essence of the gospel is generosity. As leaders, and I say as believers, we are called to follow the Lord's example of incredible liberality in all of his dealings with the world. Brene Brown says, what is the hypothesis of generos generosity? What is the most generous assumption you can make about this person's intentions or what this person said. Now this goes to our thinking. So how many of you on a daily basis, both hands raised for me, see something in this world and say, that person is an idiot? <laughs> if you are on the internet, if you live a life in this world, every day I go, 
why? <laughs> right? So we assume things all the time. We assume people's motives. We assume their whys. We assume their needs, all these things, right? But when we assume generously towards people, it allows us to go from a place of self-preservation, fear, and judgment to open-handed, an open heart, and an open mind so that we can love them, value, value them, and see the gold in them. So if Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners, while we were idiots, if you have a problem with that word, I'm sorry, while we were foolish, we were outside of him, if he saw us, and the very nature of the prophetic is to see the gold in someone. So it's also a challenge for us to think generously. So that means, um, Brene Brown, um, yeah, it, so she says, what if, the per what if they're doing the best that they can? She was challenged with this thought. So it really... And, and her response was, there is no way they are doing the best that they can. So when you start to ask that question with a generous mindset of what if they're doing the best that they can, it changes everything. It allows you to have compassion and empathy. It opens you up to have connection and relationship, to actually ask them to find out what is going in their life instead of that snap judgment of there's no way. If that is the best that they can do, and we make these judgments about people, but assuming generously and have a generosity of heart and generosity of mind allows us to see the golden people instead of just the crazy, right? So it's not just about generosity of tangible giving, though that is very included. It is also an inward, a heart generosity of assuming generously of a person that God created, no matter how dumb they are. God made them, and he loves them, right? I could say it fancier, but it's just the way we think, so. All right. So, Jesus is the ultimate example of being generous in heart towards people. Look at the Bible. Got a bunch of people who are messes. And I was thinking, I was thinking about the Israelites who stored up the food and then it went bad. And I was thinking, we, sometimes we give Bible characters a really bad rap. But guess what? God calls them champions. He calls them heroes because he always assumes generously. He always sees us for who we truly are and not our messes. So, all right. Now, in closing... This is a, a little bit of a review. God is generous in nature. It's not a mood. It's not a feeling. It's not a characteristic. It's, it's very, it is who he is. It's a part of him. He cannot not be generous. James 1.17 in the Passion Translation. Every gift God freely gives, it gives us is good and perfect, streaming down from the Father of lights, who shines from the heavens with no shadow, no hidden shadow or darkness, and is never subject to change. Other translations say he doesn't change his mind. So every good and perfect gift comes from him because it's who he is. So again, we will never run dry as long as we stay connected to the source. His abundance is my abundance. So as long as I stay locked into him, I can live a generous, abundant life. Uh, remember that generosity is worship to the God who is always enough. Generosity is the economy of the kingdom in which we are called to establish on the earth. That means generosity is not just our nature, but it is our work. It's our job. 
we're commanded to build the kingdom of God. That means to represent and replicate his heart on the earth. So generosity is our work as well as our, um, our conviction, our nature. Um, generosity directly opposes the enemy's lies of fear, lack, and self-protection, and instead, instead testifies to a good God. So again, we can start to challenge or just say, Holy Spirit, anytime that I am thinking outside of your generous nature, not the world's idea of generosity, but outside of your generous nature, convict me and show me how I can line up and live in generosity in this moment. So it's just something in our daily walks with God. We can just say, God, teach me to be generous. All right, and we get to be the ones who model how good he really is. And we do this through living with a conviction of generosity that transforms our thinking, our living, and our world. So, Father, we thank you, God, that you are a good, good Father. And that means that you are always not just enough, but more than enough. And, Father, I thank you that you have created us to be like you. You have given your kingdom as our kingdom. And so, Father, we thank you that we... um, or I'll say I, and you can say for yourself, I say yes to the work of generosity, of building your kingdom. I say yes to uh, aligning myself and allowing the Holy Spirit to teach me to be generous, not just so that my needs can be fulfilled, but so that I can overflow and actually cultivate and create a kingdom, a world of generosity. And so, Father, I bless each one. Father, I thank you that you do bless us, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Father, you are so good. And God, may we never forget it for a second. In Jesus' name, amen.